0: Hi guys, we are on the episode 6 of the SOS show. I'm your host, Sajita, and today we are in conversation with Dr. Samir Parikh of Fortis Healthcare. Dr. Samir Parikh is a consultant psychiatrist and a leading healthcare uh, of India, Fortis Healthcare. He's the director of the Department of Mental Health and Behavioral Science Department and the chairperson of Fortis National Mental Health Program. One of the most comprehensive multi-city multi-centric multi healthcare programs in the world with a team of over 70 experts at 70 centres across Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore, Chennai, Kolkata, Jaipur, Udaipur, Amritsar, Mohali, and Ludhiana. The work done by the department has reached 15 crore lives. Under the guidance of Dr. Parikh, the Fortis School Mental Health Program, a specialised programme for schools across the country with a focus on life skills and preventive mental health, is conducted by Fortis Healthcare. Currently, the programme has reached to more than 3,000 schools across the country in over 300 cities. The department also has a 24-7 national helpline run by a multilingual psychiatrist and psychologist with over 100 calls per day. With a strong emphasis on preventive mental health and skill building, Dr. Parikh has authored three books, which two such books have been written as DIY life skills workbooks for school-aged children. Let Him Not Sink, First Steps to Mental Health is a psychological first aid manual written for adults working with children. And his upcoming books include a comic series, Laugh and Learn, on Sunday and Exam Skills. Dr. Parikh also has a very prominent presence in the media and he has played a key role in enhancing the image of mental health in the country. He's amongst the most well-known experts of the country on mental health issues. Let's go and talk to Dr. Parikh on mental health and more. Hi, Dr. Parikh. Welcome to the SOS Show. Good to be here. Thank you for taking our time uh, to start the conversation. Just the basics of it. How do you define mental health?
1: i think mental health needs to be seen in the context of well-being a lot of times people um, you know use the word mental health and mental illness almost together and my understanding of this is that look at your own well-being so if you look at normal health as defined by who you'll realize that you know most of the components actually are of the mental health category in terms of psychological emotional mental spiritual so on and so forth So it's very important to realize that well-being to me is mental health, which means my ability to function optimally, my social relationships, my feeling good about myself, my being adjusted with the ups and downs of life. That is mental health and well-being.
0: Doctor, it is being predicted by WHO that 20% of India's population by 2020 is going to be suffering from different forms of mental illness do you see any specific cause to it what according to you would be the cause i think what we need to also understand is that when you say
1: 20 percent of india's population you are looking at one in five individuals now one in five individuals is a statistic which is applicable across the world sure so one in five individuals in the world will suffer from some kind of a psychiatric disorder or the other and if you look at it, then mm-hmm. today over 300 million people globally suffer from depression alone. And almost uh, around 600 million people will be suffering from depression, anxiety, and related illnesses. So the fact that mental illness is prevalent is a known fact, and that's something that we need to accept. Now, when we look into the how and the why, we first need to understand that Where we stand today, the cause for mental ailments is a biopsychosocial model where predominantly we need to accept that biology plays a very significant role, the psychological self and the environment and the interface of that. I also feel that, um, by and large, it's also the awareness which has increased, the acceptability which has increased, although uh, in a country like ours where um, I think we have still a long way to go, But if I compare the previous decade to the previous one, then, well, the number of people um, who are accepting mental ailments, accepting that they need treatment, coming forward to treatment and reduction of stigma surely happened without any doubt. We do have a long way to go to be able to reach to the maximum population that is struggling.
0: In terms of uh, just underlining the cause of it, like I've been doing the podcast and I've been hearing stories from the horses mouth like you know my friends and people around who have been suffering from bipolar and also schizophrenia and various forms of depression um they are the patients you know uh, but scientifically uh how would you define uh, the causes because um, as i have been hearing the stories i have been coming coming to know that it could be genetic one of the people suffering from schizophrenia who is also my friend uh, according to her it's lack of parenting Uh, uh, according to a third person and she's not being treated right in her own office that sort of increases her stress levels and leads to various forms of mental illness scientifically would you say there is any other reason or is it like uh, you know we need to uh, balance out everything while handling this uh, uh, mental health issue so
1: like I mentioned earlier let's look at three broad components, one being biology, one being psychology, one being social, which is the environment, right? The interface of this by and large is what results into mental ailments. Now, to me, genetics also falls under the category of biology. Now, genetics here does not mean that if a person A has an illness, A's son or daughter will surely have the illness, that is not what genetics says. What it says is that, yes, your predisposition biologically becomes more than an individual in whose family the illness may not be there. But which in no way is to say that it's always going to happen or is going to be uh, exceptionally high. So that's not not true. We need to understand where we stand today. We need to understand that the biological component, especially the neurotransmitter imbalance, is evidence based, proven cause around which most mental ailments can be explained, and which is where treatments of these illnesses are also there. And to just give you the example of schizophrenia, since you mentioned that, and bringing it down to a very, very basic level and not trying to complicate it too much. So let's say there is a neurotransmitter that's called dopamine. For whatever reasons, now whether there is some genetic overplay, there is a biological vulnerability, whatever else could be the factor, and individuals' dopamine levels increase to a level than what should be more. When these dopamine levels increase, it starts presenting with various symptoms which are of schizophrenia, let's say primarily look at two of them, delusions and hallucinations. So because of this dopaminergic surge or excess, right? Now, this individual, because he or she starts struggling. So during this phase, if the environmental support systems don't help the individual, if the environment becomes more difficult, so to an already vulnerable person, the same stresses, the same environment becomes a lot more difficult to deal with. That's where your social or the interface plays. And similarly, your own psychology. So it's a combination of these things. So how would you treat schizophrenia? You have to absolutely, without a doubt, first bring the dopamine levels down. Because if you do not bring those levels down, all the other things are really not going to be good enough. Once you've brought it down and let's say the active symptoms or the acute symptoms and distress have come down, now you start working on building skills and building resilience, psychotherapy of the individual so that their coping skills can become better. You utilize the environmental support, make sure that the environment is non-judgmental, doesn't stigmatize, doesn't push. And that's the biopsychosocial approach to the treatment as well. And that's how one needs to look at mental illness. Now, when you talk in terms of what individuals have an in opinion, see one needs to also appreciate as an individual, if I go through a, some thing, it could be medical, it could be fever, it could be throat, uh, it could be my stomach, it could be my psychological symptoms. So I may think it is A, B or C which is doing this, which may not always be correct. Not to say that it's my, um, my, my feeling is wrong, but the fact is that may not necessarily be the, the scientific reality. Sure. So if I feel that, let's say I'm having a headache and I think my headache is because of migraine or mm. maybe because I ate something or maybe because something happened, but the medical fact could well be that I'm having a headache because maybe I have not changed my glasses for a while. And I was thinking mm-hmm. it was something else. Mm-hmm. So to understand mental ailments, we have to appreciate and understand neurotransmitter imbalance as been the key factor around which the entire aspect of mental illness, both cause and treatment, needs to be appreciated so that more and more people can be helped. Uh,
0: doctor, I have... Uh spoken to a lot of people who are uh, suffering from mental health which is in the earlier podcast and a few of them have pointed towards anti-pharma they have also pointed uh, uh, saying that there's a difference between what a patient goes through in the understanding of the mental health problem versus what the scientists or the researchers or the doctors tell them about it do you see there's a gap between uh, the two sides Uh, what do you have to say to this
1: I think first and foremost, an anti-pharma approach to mental illness, I would unequivocally completely uh, not be in favor of it because I do not want people to have any misconceptions. Psychiatry and mental health has over generations been stigmatized and stereotyped and uh, the belief that meds don't work or meds are harmful and meds are addictive and these kind of stereotypical myths have prevented people from taking help and hundreds of millions suffer so that's something which is not true try and get a perspective to it and and try and uh, break it down as much as i can let's say i have um, diabetes i take treatment The medications also give me some side effects. For some people it could be weight issues, for some it is gastritis, for some it is something else, so on and so forth. But I also am measuring my insulin levels, my sugar levels, so I am able to feel a balance and check that okay, I have an illness, illness gives me symptoms, I check my levels, I am taking medications. Now this is not available right now in mental health. So since you can't measure well when dopamine became more than what it was, I took meds, it became less, or my serotonin was low, I've taken meds, it become up. Since I can't see that, a lot of times when I hear or feel certain side effects, I feel is the medicine benefiting or harming me? Mm -hmm. If you will take a dipstick sample uh, from people who've taken treatment, let's say for depression, you will be overwhelmingly told by a predominant population who've taken treatment that the medications brought them back to life, right? And yes, like any other illness, like any other medication regime across medical health, you do not have a 100% success ratio. You know, you have a success ratio, which is anywhere between 60 to 80% for some illnesses, sometimes even more, some people with partial response. And yes, some people have resistance, like people have resistance to antibiotics also, which does not mean that antibiotics are harmful or not good, or that there is no evidence. That's actually not true. Now, also try and understand a bit of um, historical perspective to um, the psychiatric medications per se. Let's say before 1950s, there was nothing available. So before 50s, what was happening was people would do whatever they would want to do. There was human right violation, there was torture, there was abuse, there was isolation. You know, the the words lunatic, the word asylum, all these things came up because institutionalization was the only option that people thought because meds and treatment were not available. Then when initial meds came in 50s, These meds did have side effect, but you also need to remember the first medication that came for, let's say, infection management or the first medication that came for pain management was not the best medication research kept on upgrading that so similarly the earlier medications had a lot of side effects especially sedation making you feel dull groggy not being able to function you know then a couple of decades went and then these antidepressants as people used to call them there started coming in another decade went more designer medications came which were more selective acted on the specific neurotransmitter receptor avoided the receptor and neurotransmitter, which was causing side effects, so on and so forth. That now as we stand, if somebody comes to me who has depression and if I'm prescribing a medication, I do that with near certainty that unless we fall in that unfortunate category of resistance, uh, this individual is going to do well. In fact, if you come for depression treatment, you would continue going to work. You can drive your car. You can lead your normal life. So those aspects that the meds will do something harmful is not true. And yes, some people will have side effects. And if that happens, you evaluate, change, and do something about it. But this, and so some of these myths that meds are all, I mean, all psychiatry meds are addictive is an absolutely incorrect statement. Some are, some are not. Uh, All medications will be lifelong is also incorrect. In fact, for most conditions, medications will be stopped. The fact that these are addictive medications is also not true. In fact, a smaller percentage can be addictive if you do not follow the doctor's prescription. If you do not do that, then that's not going to happen. The fact that meds can't be given to children is incorrect. The fact that meds can't be given to old people is incorrect. So I think we need to look at this in a way that yes, individuals who've had not the best experiences have a right to share what they felt and science learns from that. But we cannot simultaneously say that an individual's experience is also to be extrapolated to what evidence is showing In a predominant population. And one needs to understand the difference between the Mm -hmm.
0: two. Sure. Uh, Doctor, I want to uh, delve a bit into the cost and the infrastructure. Uh, Beginning with the cost. um, Mental illness happens to various people from various strata, economic strata of society. There is middle class, the lower middle class. um, A few have felt in terms of the cost of getting treated in any private hospital is very very high um for a lot of individuals uh, do you feel that this is true and do you feel that we can do something about it
1: see if an individual feels that they find the cer- a cost mm-hmm. at a certain private place more that's an individual's opinion i'm mm-hmm. nobody to say that it's expensive or not because each individual's personal finances decide upon how they feel about something and it's not our place to tell them whether it's true or not true yeah, because that's an individual opinion. I think we need to understand this.
0: Sure.
1: There is a robust government structure available in our country where treatment, including medications, is available free of cost. There is also a private structure available where treatment has a certain cost mm-hmm. to it. If you compare the psychiatry or the clinical psychology, psychotherapist, psychologist, um financial component or remunerations and you compare it to other medical specialities, then by and large you will realize that Mm -hmm. psychiatry consultations in comparison to similar specialized branches in our countries on the lower side and not on the higher side yes some individuals may be up and down but this Mm -hmm. is i'm giving a very broad example here i also feel that now that we insurance sector is starting to come in with what had happened with the national mental health bill and some good actions taken by the government. I think the fact that insurance will be there for mental health patients will be a relief for a lot of people. I also feel that the upcoming Ayushman Bharat, the way it's going to shape up, we do not know exactly how things will shape up. I think that's also going to help a large part of the population. And my solution, mm-hmm. uh, my thought process, and, and just one more thing, uh, you are looking at a lot of essential medications in the psychiatric component also have come under the pricing uh, capping which the government over the past few years have been doing. So that also has been taken care of. And, mm-hmm. and I think uh, my approach to this is, um, I fundamentally believe in a public-private partnership model. I believe that in a country like ours where so, the shortage of experts is huge, we will take several decades to be able to reach a level where our population and doctor ratio will be good enough. So I think public-private partnership is is the way forward. I think private players and government organizations need to come together. We need to understand that uh, mental health is a branch where you can actually utilize the digital advances in the world quite well. And we need to focus on training at various primary health care centers across the country. We need to also use the digital medium to be able to create a better outreach and simultaneously invest a lot so that we have more and more people coming into the branch, increasing number of seats, but a public-private partnership model needs to be looked into. And, and I think that's that's a practical way uh, forward.
0: Absolutely, that's a brilliant point, Doctor. Doctor, coming to the infrastructure, because um, I have seen mental health closely in my environment, and there are times when we have reached out for help, but we've not got help in terms of, uh, like for example, you know, a bipolar is something that you can handle, Uh, depression is something that you can handle, but a schizophrenia is something that, you know, uh, it's not just a patient, but people in the environment as much, we do not have a clear understanding of what it is. So if we reach out to any, uh, you know, any doctor, any hospital, the infrastructure is not sort of uh, ready to tackle those, uh, you know, sudden uh, requirement for, uh help uh what do you have to so again about? try
1: and get this uh, aspect um, you will be able to appreciate it so first what you are saying is completely true sure right uh i have already mentioned that we have a deficit of experts we have a far more deficit of number of beds that are available to take care of acute psychiatric care there is no doubt about it Right. But we also need to appreciate that there are some laws and norms which also need to be taken care of. And those laws and norms essentially came in the practice because before that, you know, sometimes even at the cost of human rights, you know, some uh, inpatient care was happening where patients were struggling. So now there are norms that the doctor-patient ratio needs to be taken care of, medical health support to psychiatry patients need to be ensured, so on and so forth. So those things are now established. I do feel the number of beds needs to increase, both in the government and the private setup, but that's going to be a process. It's it's a combination of um, an increased demand and exceptionally less infrastructural availability and even lesser number of experts, and it's a combination of that. But I think in years to come, that's going to change. And there's no doubt about what you said in terms of uh, the psychological burden of care. A lot of times, uh, you've named schizophrenia and bipolar, so I'll I'll go with them as well, that some of the illnesses which tend to be longer, they do tend to have an impact on the caregivers, and caregiver handling is is integral to well-being, not just of the patient, but of the family as well. And that needs to be appreciated. In fact, our program, for that matter, focuses a lot more on preventive and community awareness and building skills and resilience and then we do have a clinical program but we also focus upon the therapeutic component the family component and we we, for example run a 24-hour helpline for anybody across india who can just call up at any time of the day and you'll be actually talking to a psychologist who's in clinical practice um, available around the clock because it's a it's That's a lovely. we have a, yeah. one of the largest teams yeah. up in the country working together. So um, because of that, we are able to ensure a 24-hour coverage. But but ha- having said that, that's not enough. I think uh, we have uh, way t- uh, two less helplines. We have two less patient beds. Uh, we really, really need to um, understand the importance of uh, increasing uh, the infrastructure and uh, accessibility to mental health if we want to take mental health care for all.
0: Absolutely. Uh, doctor, just underlining the point and the question that I just uh, asked you, there's a sort of an indifference uh, uh, towards a mental illness, almost to the level of stigma, even in the, you know, the infrastructure that's been designed. How do we tackle the stigma and the indifference as we w- move forward?
1: So stigma has to be tackled in only two ways. Stigma is tackled by continued sustained conversations around mental health, in all possible places platforms mediums Uh, media has to continue to play the activist role here of uh, ensuring that uh, knowledge is spread and widespread and with the with the digital ability that we now have where we can create an outreach this needs to be a sustained aspect and the second component of stigma starts from self we need to find the empathy within our own selves to be able to understand that um, somebody suffering from a mental illness is already suffering, and um,
0: yes,
1: we cannot be insensitive to the fact, and we have to be aware that it's not the individual's choice, it's not the individual's decision or limitations that brings mental illness to that individual. It's it's an illness like any other illness, and um, which needs to be treated with the support systems that are there. And support system starts from your well-wishers, your um, friends, your family. That's the only way to look at it.
0: Sure. Doctor, there's a certain amount of misconception, of course, because we are becoming more open uh, towards discussing mental health issues. Mental health versus madness.
1: There is no discussion left on that. Madness is a dated, obsolete word which needs to be put in the mm. historical, um, I mean, history textbooks where people can say that once upon a time we used to use uh, words like lunacy, madness, insanity. There is no meaning. We are talking about health. This yeah. is a medical issue. I talk about serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. Yes. Um, there is no place for words like uh, madness and insanity and all. Sure.
0: Uh, doctor, in terms of the laws on mental health, um, where do you think that we need to work towards opening the way forward for the caregivers and people suffering from No, I think
1: the National Mental Health Bill recently come out has been a good one. It's taking the steps forward. It's recognizing who does what. It's defining experts. It's um, helping to bring the insurance sector in, which is the thing that was really, really needed, I mean, for a very, very long time. Um, there was no insurance for patients, and now that will be there. I think this is work in progress, and the fact that we have a bill, the fact that the bill is now in place, and things are in place, of course, uh, real-time feedback will uh, tell everybody what changes need to be. And I'm a, I'm, I'm frankly a very, very optimistic individual. I'm, I don't appreciate uh, that anything that happens should be first criticized. I think everything that happens first should be accepted, given a try, give a hundred percent to it, and then try and bring changes into it. Um, and that, that's the only way to look at it.
0: I came across this very interesting initiative of, um, uh, you know, one of the organizations in Delhi, which was a 24-hour van that was available. Uh, You know, you could just call them and they would be there uh, uh, taking uh, care of anybody who is suffering from mental illness in the middle of the night as well. And that's been sort of removed at the, it's been, they're not using it because of the laws and the government and the infrastructure, they have stopped using it. do you have any suggestions in terms of bringing an immediate help?
1: No, I think we need to have a. Well, no, no, we need to have a clarity on this. Uh, let's say yes. I am living with a family member. And I unilaterally decide that my family member requires to be treated by a mentally, I mean, uh, is mentally ill, and I call somebody home and just get that patient to be seen by that person without even taking the right or any knowledge or anything else in perspective. Mm. So I don't think that you can't impose it. There are laws and norms around it to ensure that you safeguard people as well uh, because you can't impose a treatment just based on your personal perceptions. I um, I think the solution here is not, frankly, that at a beck and okay. call a doctor should be able to reach at home i don't think that's a solution the solution needs to be starting mm-hmm. you need to have a more broad framework it starts with like mm-hmm. i said continuous mm-hmm. awareness to reduce stigma increase knowledge to enhance and increase help seeking behavior and to reduce stigma so that families are able to take care uh, i also feel corporate india needs to play a lot more active role i think there's a lot they can do in the space of mental health, starting with something as simple as looking at mental health outcomes in yes. organizations as well. I mean, beyond the habitats and the PNLs, how about looking at the mental health outcomes and well-being of your employees? The second component is increase the number of people who can deal with primary mental health care. That's why I mentioned earlier: primary healthcare centers, general physicians, lots of people. Train more people to be able to start and give initial intervention as and in when it is required and have a public-private partnership. You have government hospitals, private hospitals where you take care of illnesses which require more attention. And then you have a rehabilitation where there are chronic illnesses where people need more help. There's a whole you know, uh, framework that needs to be looked into. And yes, when there is an emergency, there needs to be infrastructure to be able to support that emergency. But it needs to happen within the context of law, within the context of human rights of mentally ill patients Mm -hmm. as
0: well. Absolutely. So just uh, reiterating that point again and asking uh, a question around it in terms of if in the middle of the night a family needs a help with a mentally ill ill patient, what is the thing that they should do?
1: What would they have done, let's say, if that was a cardiac Mm -hmm. emergency?
0: Yeah, but in a cardiac emergency, there is an availability of a doctor, but in case of a mental illness. hmm.
1: There's an availability of a doctor in a nearby hospital. Similarly, you take Hmm. your patient to the nearby hospital. Hospitals are bound by law Hmm. to give emergency care, Hmm. including for mental ill patients. They may not be able to do long-term stay if they are not licensed by the yeah. state mental health body. That licenses is, is important to ensure human rights and safety and medical rights of mental ill patients. And yes, earlier I had mentioned we have less number of beds. Yeah. The beds need to increase. But that does not mean emergency care would be any different than a cardiac Love emergency
0: me. at home. Um, doctor also come to the point of trying to make a person who is mentally ill understand that they are mentally ill Like, you know, of course, my friends around people are aware that they have bipolar, they're aware they have depression. But when it comes to schizophrenia, they're not aware that they have schizophrenia. So making a mental ill patient understand how we do that. As, as So you may
1: or may not be able to, but you may or may not be able to do that for all patients of all illnesses, including mental illnesses, yeah. in the sense that certain illnesses, because of the nature of the illnesses yeah. may affect your judgment and insight. Mm-hmm. When your judgment as insight is affected, you would not agree that you have an illness. Yes. And yet you will be and that's why there are norms in place where if you lack that judgment and insight, what is the process you can go, you can speak to the experts. And that's why short-term inpatient care may also be there within the norms, within the rules, following them you know, to opinions, uh, taking the approval of the court, so on and so forth, to ensure that the person is helped. But by and large, I have seen over the past two decades that um, if you are patient, if you are not hostile, if you are not very confrontative, if you're not very critical, if you take your time, help the person understand, help make the person more aware, make sure that you externalize the cause and not blame the individuals, and you give it time, help them go and talk to a doctor and discuss it. You know, that percentage of people who are unwilling to accept actually comes down if we are able to put this together. And in those cases where we still struggle, well, there are norms available where we can still give them the help that they deserve within the framework of human rights and legal
0: aspects. Alright, um, I'm just i going to like take the helpline number by the end of the show in case somebody wants to connect to Fortis Healthcare 24-7, they can be there. Thank you so much Doctor for your time. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Dr. Parikh. You can reach Dr. Parikh at Fortis Healthcare and also you can reach to the National Helpline 24-7 which is run by psychiatrists and psychologists uh, where they get 100 goals per day. If you wish to connect to us and if you have a story to share, do write to us uh, and connect to us on our Instagram, on our LinkedIn, on our Facebook, on our Twitter handles, Epilog Media and Metaphysical Lab. I'm your host, Sajidha. You can connect to me directly on my LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'll see you guys next week with an episode on caregiving on mental health. Thank you and take care.